reading is it's a little typo on the sheet it's actually Matthew 20 verses 29 to 34 not 19 and can be found on page 988 of the Burgundy Bibles starting at verse 29 as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho a large crowd followed him two blind men were sitting by the roadside and when they heard that Jesus was passing by they shouted Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered. We want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received sight and followed him. Great, thanks. Do keep that passage open, page 988, 988, Matthew chapter 20. Um, let me just lead us in a short prayer, and then we'll begin. Need my clicker, one moment. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, one thing we want to pray this evening is that we would see Jesus. Amen. I wonder... Um, if you're conscious of the fact, or, or whether you've ever uh, thought about it, how much do you take your eyesight for granted? I think we just take eyesight for granted, don't we? We, we wake up every morning and we expect that we're going to be able to see things. First time you open your eyes, maybe it's blurrily looking at the alarm clock, hitting that snooze button again. We, we wake up expecting to be able to see things. But what if you were to lose your eyesight? I wonder how you would cope. Uh, my mum, uh, so I'm the eldest of three, and my mother, uh, shortly after giving birth to me, um, was told by the doctors she needed an emergency eye operation, and it was quite possible that she would lose her eyesight completely, would be black blind. Uh, and she was told by the rather insensitive, uh, I don't know, whoever it was, um, Take a good look at your son because you might not be seeing him again. Now we, we just take our eyesight for granted. And as terrible as, as physical blindness is, there is another kind of blindness that the Bible talks about that is far worse and actually affects all of us. Well, what's blindness got to do with the Bible? What's blindness got to do with Jesus? Why is this here? I found myself asking this. Why? Matthew, why have you put this uh, passage, is in the, the writer of this, not that Matthew, why have you put this passage here in, in Matthew chapter 20? Last week we were thinking about Jesus preparing his disciples to understand that he is going to the cross, he is going up to Jerusalem, and he is going to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. And then we see into chapter 21, Jesus is coming into the Jerusalem, this triumphal entry, as king. And then we've got this little bit here, Matthew chapter 20, where he, he, he heals two blind men. And I'll scratch my head thinking, what is this doing here? Between Jesus' teaching on serving and what he's going to do at the cross and getting there and this triumphal entry into Jerusalem as king. But actually, the more I've been looking at it, the more I've come to realize that actually it's here for a really good reason. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus... King Jesus goes out of his way to help the blind see. 
And that is exactly why he is going to the cross. Jesus goes out of his way to help the blind see. Seeing is something that, that is picked up lots and lots of times in scripture. It's there in the Old Testament. Read the, the book of Isaiah. There's a lot about what we are trying to see God and being blind to God by worshipping false gods, that kind of thing. But Jesus also talks about seeing elsewhere in, in Matthew's gospel. Um, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So there's a connection between seeing God and purity of heart between having our sins forgiven and being able to gaze on the Lord. Seeing God is what we were created to do. But the problem is, we're blind. We can't see upon God. We're blind because of the ravages of sin, both in our own life and in the world. Well then, tonight, uh, it's my prayer that this is a bit of an eye test for us. You're coming to the Bishop Paddington Opticians as you're getting your eyesight tested. As we read this passage, it should be reading us so that we can think about how clearly we are seeing, how clearly we are seeing Jesus, who he is, what he's done. Because actually, we're thinking about evangelism this year and sharing our faith. Um, We need to see clearly if we're going to be able to help others to see too, aren't we? It makes sense. We don't want to be the blind leading the blind. We want to see clearly so that we can help others to see too. I want us to see then this evening that this Jesus who goes out of his way so that we might see. This Jesus who goes out of his way so that we might see. You see, Jesus goes out of his way Firstly, to those who recognize their need for sight. And that's what we see in this passage. Think about eyes closed and recognizing the need. Have a look down at verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them. We're told two blind men were sitting by the roadside. So Jesus, he is heading up on the roads towards Jerusalem, where all this stuff is going to be happening, where he is going to be fulfilling his mission, as it says back in verse 28, to be a ransom for many. He will give his life in place of sinners like you and me. And on that incredible journey up to that momentous occasion, he encounters these two blind men. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us much about them. We're told about one of them in in Mark's gospel called uh, Bartimaeus. All we know from Matthew is that they are blind. And, well, we can piece together bits from history and imagine probably what life would have been like for a blind person in the first century. Think about all the advantages that blind people have nowadays. Not saying it's easy, but there are certain advantages, aren't there? For example, you've got things like Braille. You can you can feel reading, so you can engage with written text. And I don't know if you've ever noticed when you get to like a uh, a pedestrian crossing, they've got like the concrete bit with the bumps on them. You ever wondered what they're for? They're for blind people to know that they're at a pedestrian crossing. So little things like that, or railings, or um, audio descriptions and audio books and all sorts of stuff like that. But 2,000 years ago, there were none of those things. 2,000 years ago, to be blind, there were no blind dogs, you know, guide dogs or anything. Life would have been incredibly hard. So we have to piece together information about what life was like for them. And that's important. We'll come to that in a second. But these people have heard of Jesus and they must be able to piece together in some way that they know that he's something special. Perhaps that's all they know. 
But what Jesus is going to do is he's going to use this situation and their request. He's going to use the blind to show the seeing what he's come to do. He's going to use this situation with these two blind men to show people who think they can see actually what he's all about. I wonder if you were to ask your next door neighbour or or a close friend, what do you think the greatest needs the world has? Or or perhaps you're thinking, what's your individual greatest need? Perhaps it's education, perhaps it's health or money or relationships or satisfaction or sexual fulfilment or intelligence, qualifications. Maybe it's having a good pension. There's all sorts of things that the world tells us we really need. But the Bible says our greatest need is to have our eyes open to who God is in Jesus Christ. And these two blind men show us what it looks like to recognise our need to see Jesus. And there's there's four little ways that they do that in this passage. So have a look uh, with me at uh, verse 30. They say this phrase and then they repeat it again. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. What are they doing? Well, the first thing these people are doing that shows that they recognize their need to have their eyes open by God is that they go straight to the source. They are asking not someone else. They're not saying, oh, could you go and have a word with Jesus for me? Or or could you pray on, on my behalf or go, go to God? No, they go straight to God. They go straight to the source of healing and sight. And that's something that we can do. It was, it was great, um, Lizzie reminding us in the prayers, actually what a privilege it is to come straight to God in prayer. We don't have to go through other people. We don't have to say, oh, I can't pray to God. Please pray on my behalf. Like the boldness of these two blind men, we can pray straight to God, address him directly. But we're only going to do that if we recognize our need. Secondly, they show humility. Look at what it is they're asking for. They say, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. They want Jesus' mercy. They want his help. They want his kindness, his grace. They're not saying, Jesus, son of, uh, Lord, son of David, please, would you help me out? Because I've lived a pretty good life and I don't think I deserve to be blind. They're just calling out to God for mercy. They know their need and they go straight to him we see them crying out to God we see them showing humility but we also see them showing faith now it's interesting the kind of faith that they they show Um, I mean in one sense they're blind what else do they have to lose they've heard about this special guy called Jesus they well it's worth a it's worth a, a, a shot isn't it but there's at least a smidgen of trust there and of course Jesus knows that there's a little bit of trust there a little bit of faith that Jesus can heal them that he has the power to do that But there are some things that they're not quite getting right as well. They know a little bit about Jesus. Their faith isn't that great. They can't explain clearly what Jesus has come to do using really profound words. They can't explain the whole idea necessarily of how the Trinity works or or any of these theological things. All they know is they're this special guy called Jesus and they're saying, have mercy on me. There's some faith, there's some trust. But they haven't properly grasped everything. But what they know about him, they believe. 
what they know about him, they believe him. You see, faith isn't about knowing everything about God. Sometimes we have people coming along and maybe they're doing a course like Alpha or Christianity Explores. And sometimes a real stumbling block for people is, well, I feel like I can't say I've got faith in Jesus until I really understand every single bit of, of, of what God is like and how he works in the world and all these issues around maybe suffering and things like that. Until I've got all of that sorted, I, I can't really put my trust in Jesus. But that's not what faith is. You see, faith isn't about knowing everything about God. But we see here, it's about trusting him with what you do know. It's not knowing about everything about God, but trusting him with what you do know. And as you do that, of course, and as you read the Bible more, you will will discover more about what God is like and what he has done. And you want to keep on learning, yes. But you don't have to get to that stage first. I wonder, do do you think you know enough to be able to trust him? Or is there something holding you back? Well, Well, maybe you want to speak to someone afterwards and find out how you can overcome that obstacle and see Jesus for yourself. But fourth, we we also see that these two blind men are persistent, aren't they? Look at verse 31. Um, They've shouted out once and the crowd rebuked them and they told them to be quiet. What do they do? They shouted all the louder. They're not going to let a crowd tell them to shut up. They're going to shout all the louder. They cry out to God. Yes, they're humble. Yes, they have some faith, but they are persistent. They don't really carry on, but they do it louder to, to shout over the crowd. Again, I think this is another place where people often get a bit stuck. Maybe, for example, someone is finding out. Maybe it's you. You're finding out about what it means to believe in Jesus. You're finding out about Christianity. But then perhaps someone teases you. Maybe someone teases you at school or college or in the home or or treats you badly because of this. Because you say, yeah, actually, I I go along to church. Or, yeah, I'm I'm doing Alpha at the moment. And instead of calling out to God, you you decide, actually, it's just easy if I just quiet down. Doing the opposite of what these, these blind men are doing. I'm not going to shout out all the louder to my God who hears me, but I'm just going to keep things quiet because it's not really worth it. You see, to follow Jesus, we need to have our eyes opened. And it starts by recognising our blindness, something that we all experience. We don't see God. We don't understand him. We need our eyes open. God, help me to see what you're like and what you've done For me. So that's how it starts. Starts with recognizing that our eyes are closed. Well, how does Jesus respond to these two blind men? Well, Jesus gives eyesight to the blind so that they can see him. Jesus gives eyesight to the blind so that they can see him. New eyes are given, and this is the grace of our wonderful Savior. Look look at what Jesus is doing. Um, He's got this whole crowd following him. We, we know from the next passage that they get quite excited as he enters into Jerusalem. They're celebrating. They think he is the king who's going to save us from the Romans and from oppression and from this rule. They are excited. They are full of energy. And then there are these two blind beggars who won't leave Jesus alone. Talk about cramping their style. No, no wonder the crowd are telling them to shut up. Don't you know who this is? You can't just shout out to him. He's the king. Jesus is important. The king is arriving. And we don't want any undesirable people getting in the way. 
I don't know if it's true or not, so I almost hesitate to bring it up, but, but there was a rumour of um, uh, Windsor uh, Council, um, where Windsor, Windsor Castle is, um, purportedly uh, thinking about clearing the homeless off of the streets in time for the royal wedding, so that there wasn't any undesirable people there when all the photos were being taken. Is King Jesus like that? Is he demanding that the undesirable people are sweeped away from the street so he can make a grand entrance? How does Jesus react? What kind of king is Jesus? Well, Jesus stops, Jesus calls, and Jesus heals. Jesus stops. He stops what he is doing and engages with them. Verse 32, Jesus stopped. They'd called twice, he stopped in his tracks, and he went to them. He engaged with them in a conversation. This is, this is, this is a wonderful picture of God's grace, of, of coming down to our level. The king of kings, the creator of the universe, stopping because two blind beggars are calling his name. I wonder... Um, how often we, we think like Jesus. How often we stop for people. If you're anything like me, you're probably wanting to, to hurry around a lot of the time because we know that we've got something important to do. If, I'd really love to speak to you right now, but, but there's something i really got to be at. Well, if we think we have something important to go to, think about what Jesus was going to He was going to save the world. Now, nothing I do in my diary week to week is as important as that. And even though what he was going to do, he still stopped. He still made time for these people. And it's a good time to think about this. We're we're thinking about Christmas in a few weeks' time. We'll think about what Jesus stopped. It wasn't that Jesus stopped on the road to Jerusalem, but but actually Jesus' whole ministry was about stopping, wasn't it? Jesus stopped enjoying the luxury, the beauty, the glory of heaven and was born as a baby. He grew up, he was despised, he was rejected, he was suffered and he died for sinners like you and me. Jesus stopped experiencing what he deserved so that we might be part of what he is doing. So far from thinking that this passage is just a, a random introduction between the, you know, two really good passages, actually what this is, is a picture of the gospel, isn't it? The Son of God going out of his way, stopping to cause the blind to see and to call them to follow him. Jesus stops, but he doesn't stay there. Jesus also calls. You see, Jesus wants to engage these blind men in a conversation. And look how he does it. He says, what do you want me to do for you? The older translation uh, says, what do you will that I do for you? That's not the words of a king, is it? Think about last week, that's the words of a slave. What is your will that I may do it? What can I do for you? Jesus calling to these blind men... What do you want me to do for you? Even though he is their Lord, their King, their Saviour, he is still asking them what he can do for them. That he is the King who has come, as we saw last time, not to be served, but to serve. 
Jesus stops, Jesus calls, and then, well, Jesus heals. They answer him, they say, we want to see. We want to see you, Jesus. Yes, of course, they want to see to make their life better, as we talked about. It, was, it must have been horrible to be blind in, in the first century. They want to see to make their life better. But, but if that happened to you, if someone gave you new sight, wouldn't you want to see them? Wouldn't you want to, to look at the one who would stoop down so low to do that for you? We're told Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight. Jesus stopped, Jesus calls, and Jesus heals. And it was a free gift. It was God's grace that gave these men their eyesight. And it's God's grace that gives us eyes to see Jesus. It is a free gift. We do nothing to earn it but is a gift that came at a great cost. Because not so long there would be a crowd shouting, not for blind men to be quiet, but for this king to be crucified. Crucified. Jesus would be the one shouted down. And as these men receive their sight, they go from being blind to not being able to see God, to having their eyes open to be able to see him. There will come a moment soon when Jesus, hanging on the cross, would be made to be blind, to not be able to see his father, to experience separation so that blind people like you and me can see God. He experienced blindness so that we might have sight. Jesus has gone out of his way to give sight to the blind so that they can see him. He stops, he calls to them, and then he heals them. And it is all 100% of his grace. Well, what happens? Well, immediately they receive their sight and follow him. Their eyes are now open, so they follow. Jesus calls those who have new sight to follow him. People see who he is and see what he has done And they follow him. That's what it means to be a Christian, someone who follows Jesus, because our eyes have been opened. It is a gift of God's grace. We can't open our own eyes just like the blind men couldn't make themselves see. They needed someone to open their eyes. They were completely 100% at his mercy. So they follow him. Now, it may sound obvious that you'd want to follow someone who could make you go from being blind to, to seeing but actually, it wasn't always the case with those who were healed by Jesus. We read in, uh, in the other Gospels about people who were healed and they just went off and did what they wanted. They were quite happy that Jesus had healed them, had made their life better. But that's it. Goodbye, Jesus. Some of them continue to be more interested in the blessing rather than the blesser, in what God could give them and in not in God himself. And it's the same today. A lot of people are very happy to get the good things that God gives them, whether that's life, food, wealth, health. But so few people are willing to follow him because of it. Well, what about these two blind men? 
We're told at the end of verse 34, immediately they received their sight and followed him. I was wondering, I wonder if they kept on following him. I'm wondering, probably through uh, Palm Sunday, as, uh, as he comes into Jerusalem as king, that's, that's a good time. And maybe into the temple as well, when he starts flipping over tables and saying, no, this is a house of prayer. I wonder if they were following him, though, to Gethsemane. I wonder if they were following him to the cross or to the tomb. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. You see, it's not an easy thing to follow Jesus. Yeah, it would be easy on on Palm Sunday, but not to the cross. Jesus tells us back in chapter 16, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This passage tells us that there are two kind of people in the world then. There are people who are blind and there are people who can see. There are people who are blind to God in Jesus and there are people who see him. And the people who see don't boast. It's just a complete gift of God's grace. But those seeing people, and if you're someone who, who yes, who say, I can see who Jesus is. I see that he died for my sins. Well, seeing people have two choices, but only one of them is is really genuine the one choice you could be well like the the blind people obviously what they didn't do but you could go back and pretend to be blind again you could pretend to be a beggar and live the the kind of the old life that you lived before jesus came along and gave you sights go back to those old habits go back to those old ways of life before jesus opened your eyes to what life was really about you could do that that's certainly the easier way to do things. It's a lot easier than following him to the cross. Or with new sight, you can follow Jesus wherever it leads, whatever the cost, because of the cost that he laid down to make you a follower, to open your eyes. Now, one is easier, perhaps, and a lot of people opt for that one. But the other one is right. The other one is true. And the other one is authentic. I don't know about you, but one of the things that keeps me going on in my life is the fact that I want to see Jesus one day. It's a powerful motivation to to turn away from sin and to keep on following, maybe when we've made a mess of things, to stand up saying, I'm going to keep on following you, Jesus. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we see Jesus like in a mirror dimly. We, we, we understand things about him. We understand what he's done for us, but we don't see the whole picture. One day we will. One day I believe I will see him and look on him face to face with perfect, high definition, better than 4K quality. But it's only because of his grace on this blind beggar. I wonder then, this, this Bishop Hannington eye test this evening that you've come along to, on a scale of 1 to 10, how clear is it? 1 being very fuzzy and 10 being super sharp, 20-20 vision. How clearly do you see Jesus this evening? The one who went out of his way to offer you new sight. I want you to think about that answer for the rest of the evening and and as you go home this week, how clearly are you seeing Jesus? And when you think about your answer, 
well, maybe let his word from this passage speak to you. What do you want me to do for you? Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his awesome compassion. We thank you for this passage here that helps us to understand a little bit more of the gospel. Lord, if we see you this evening, if we believe that we see you and that we are following you, then Lord, help us to keep on doing that. We're only able to see you by your grace and we're only able to keep on going by your grace. And Lord, if we're here this evening and we're not sure if we can quite piece things together, we're not quite sure whether we can see you properly, Lord, then we ask of you that we want our sight. We want to see you. We want to see who you are and what you have done. And one day we want to see you face to face too. Amen.